Kite Zone World. We're back. My guest this week is the hilarious comedian Ben O'Brien. Glad to have him in the mix. We had a real tight conversation. I do want to announce that the Continental MCs tour with myself and Easy Jackson is still moving right along. So peep these dates at heightwithfriends.com. This episode is sponsored by The Lineup Room, a recording and mixing studio located in Baltimore, MD. Peep thelineuproom.com to see how it's going down. Let's go in. I grew up in northern New York, or central New York, technically. It's called Oswego. Oswego, New York. It's near Syracuse. It's right on the the lake. It was a nice place to grow up. It was a small kind of college town had just enough people to have kind of like what could technically be considered a city you know yeah. it had like a nice old theater and like a tiny little bit of like stuff going on but was also really really like sheltered from a bigger city like Syracuse was an hour away but New York City was like six hours you know yeah. Canada was closer to us than like Kingston was closer than than you know New York City was yeah so it's kind of it was just very small town mentality. It was definitely sheltered in that way in like terms of like what kind of knowledge and information moved up there. So it was kind of like I grew up there kind of feeling like everything cool happening, like really real happening, like was far away. Mm. Was like not where not in Oswego, like that I was so disconnected from it, you know. Yeah. I think it's it's pretty interesting how there's you, Bob, Ryan, Drew, and Justin. Mm-hmm. And may, am I missing anyone that's from the Oswego um, team? Oh, God, I, I don't want to. Oh, Alan's from only like 20 or 30 minutes from us. Connor also grew up like 10 minutes oh, okay. away. But we didn't know each other growing up. Yeah. The people that knew each other, like my brother is, um, you know, and then like you're saying, Justin Barnes, Ryan, Drew have all kind of stuck around since childhood. Yeah. And kind of stuck together, and we went to college together. We went to Oakland. We lived in Oakland for a couple of years, and then we moved out here about six years ago. But it's like, I think it's pretty amazing that you guys are all still working together in different ways on things and all still in the mix. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean... uh I, I get it. I feel like growing up, I had, uh, it's like family, you know, I had some family difficulties at times, and uh, I f- always felt like my friends were the actual, like, stability that I had, you know, yeah. and I also was, I mean, classically, I was very not co- self-confident, like, so I was very, so I found confidence in, like, a group mm. of people that I liked, so yeah. it was like, and also just helped me make decisions, it was like, where should I go to college? I'll just go where they're going. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I'll go yeah, where yeah. my brother's going to college um, and kind of stick with that. And then we just kind of, but also being artists and I'm a naturally collaborative artist. It just kind of kept making sense yeah. to stick with friends. And because of that, that scene and that, like how much art and all that feeds off of community yeah, and friendship. And it was just kind of like, it kind of just made sense. Everyone, I feel like, and I feel like I still have that in the community in Baltimore. Like, oh, there's yeah, a lot yeah. of that, not just from where I'm from, but like Purchase College in general and a lot of people who are just like, you know what, I don't want to, it's like our alternative to 
be buying a house, you know, starting a family, you know, and then just just being in that, like that kind of being your world. Yeah. Versus like, let's make our own kind of big community and that, like, kind of commit to that in a way. And I think yeah. people people move away and people move around and stuff, but people really do have like a strong connection to each other. Yeah. In Baltimore and in the art scene, and the one that I'm kind of in the in the in the middle of. So, I I that's like incredible. I mean, that's like what I was thinking about the other day was like, like I was saying, I, don't, I didn't have a lot of confidence. Yeah. Like growing up. So everything I did, I kind of like, and everything that I've been able to do now is like, I took, it took me years in, I had to create like a safe space for years in which to like develop that confidence, like mm. to do comedy or to do film and stuff like that. Like I had to kind of create my own little safe space and then slowly work my way out of that. So I could actually be like, okay, I can do this. And I yeah. can like, Great stuff, but I feel like that community and and those friends were just like that's what that's for. I feel like as an artist, yeah. So even if you weren't putting yourself out there that much, like even back then, like say like high school or you know kid age, like did you did you already have this idea of like comedy as the thing or not? Really? I didn't. Well, I didn't really take anything. I, it's hard for me to remember some I have a terrible memory, but in high school, I just remember being younger and being like, I wish like I wanted I had all these like dreams or these ideas, but I just honestly didn't think I could do it. Yeah. Like I remember being like, you know, I found like I was really good at graphic design. Like yeah. I was really, really good at graphic design working with computers. And I was like, I'll just do that. Like that's that's my thing. I'll just do that. I'll get a house. I'll I'll marry my girlfriend at the time. Yeah. And we'll have kids and that'll be my life. And I remember yeah. that in high school and just not thinking like I could actually do any of this stuff. But in high school I was acting. I was doing writing comedic things and performing comedy. And I you know, I was really involved in that kind of stuff and I loved it so much. But it just I just was like deep down like, Oh, I'm not I can't do that. Mm. Like I just this is not gonna work for me because I'm not confident enough or I'm not like, you know, just good enough or mm whatever so it wasn't it took it took me a while and it wasn't until college where I was actually like oh my god like I can actually just do what I want to do yeah like I can do these things and I still have that it's still a part of my process with like comedy you know it's like at first it always starts as like ah, I'm just it's a hobby I'm messing around for me that's yeah. always how it always starts I'm like oh, it's just a hobby I like and then I eventually just can't stop myself from turning mm. it into like everything I want to do. Oh yeah, yeah <laughs> so. totally. Did you feel like you were maybe the dude that that had less of an idea of what was going on as far as what you wanted to do? Like, like, because I know I know you guys had bands and stuff when you were real young. Like, mm -hmm. I I can imagine say like a sixteen year old like. Bob O'Brien being like, this is what's going on. Like, this is what we're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother was my hero. Yeah. In high school. He was like, he had all that confidence. He was just like dynamite. And he was, I mean, he still is. Yeah. But at the time, it was like, I didn't have that confidence. And so my brother would be like, let's make a band. Like mm. this crazy band. I'd just be like, all right. Like, I would just jump in and do whatever. And I always yeah. felt just like, I just want to be there to uh, kind of be along for the ride. And kind of just enjoy what this this stuff that my brother was creating. But yeah. if it wasn't for him, he's the one that showed me that like you can do just whatever you want. Like he yeah. had the he had the all the balls to, to for in in my opinion, like no one had to tell him right. that he kind of like came 
came up with that realization himself. And I kind of went along with it to the point until I could, you know, take it up myself and, and continue on, like, on a separate path. Yeah. But for a while there, it was just, he, he was, like, a lot of my strength in that sense. Yeah. Of just, like, he was so confident and just, like, doing his own thing that I went along with that. And I was in band. I don't know. I don't know anything about music mm. at all. <laughs> but but he, but it, and I can't sing. I like I'm terrible at singing. But so he so he would my brother would create these bands specifically so that I could be in them. Like uh, beat people who I'm sure you've heard about. Yeah, in I saw high the school. Video yeah, that. yeah, it's terrible. Where but in high school, <laughs> I like I like how it's like you're all all three of you guys. I feel like you see like a glimpse of your. Adult personality yeah, a little yeah. bit. Like, I feel like Justin hasn't changed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But uh, I, uh, yeah, I, um, B-People was like this, it was this band of, we were really into Flipper and Dead Milkmen and, and uh, Nirvana. And so it was just like, let's wear stupid costumes and dresses and play like these really, this really just like stupid music. Mm. And I played guitar and I don't know how to play guitar. And the yeah. joke was that I wasn't allowed to learn. <laughs> and so I wouldn't, we would, I'd barely practice. There was nothing for me to practice. So yeah. just on stage, like Bob and Justin, Bob would play the drums and Justin would play the bass. And I would just randomly strum the guitar and just act like I was wailing wicked yeah. hard on it while wearing like a dress. Or, and we'd throw food at the audience. We would do all the like, you know, the like, punk stuff you had to yeah. do but in this like kind of cheery like it wasn't like serious it was like right. completely uh you know wacky and then uh and so yeah so it was like my brother created that band essentially to include me which was great and then and then the same thing happened in college where uh where he i was just like i want to be in a band again he's like all right and so he made this band called nuclear power pants yeah and the idea was that I would do this kind of like low guttural uh, kind of screaming in the band. And my brother has a higher voice than I do. So he would do the kind of uh, higher singing and we would sing every single lyric at the exact same time. And we yeah. would wear one, one suit. So right. we'd be like a two headed person. <laughs> right. <laughs> so we, we did that for years. I mean, you know, you yeah. played many shows. When, when did you guys start? Uh, two. When I was a sophomore, so it was 2000, uh, 2003 or 2004. Okay. And so the first shows we played together would be like the beginning. Yeah. The very yeah. beginning. Yes. Cool. Yeah. And it was one of those situations where it was like my brother had a band he was more serious about, which was great, but he, uh, he didn't care as much about nuclear power. There wasn't as much preciousness to that band. Right. So he wrote these songs and it started, they got these, this kind of quick and easy reaction. Yeah. Because they were so kind of like fun and, Silly, and so it's like that's something that I think about a lot in comedy. Is like you've always got to have these projects that you that are just you don't they're not precious. Like that's the best kind mm. of stuff that comes out of funny uh, comedic stuff. I think it's good for all art, but like like there's always we always have our precious thing. Yeah, and then for, it's like I'm always trying like some stupid Twitter account or some stupid. Thing over here where I can just I don't have to think I can kind of just yeah. free form it and just kind of do it for fun, for my own enjoyment and it's like often those things end up kind of becoming these these things you didn't know they'd become or these kind of yeah. great things because you're just you're just kind of freely making yeah. work and you're not putting a ton of pressure on yourself 
to make it like perfect or good and all that stuff. So yeah. it's like it was like that kind of situation where nuclear power plants ended up getting on campus at least to be more popular because it was this band that like we were all just like goofing off, like no yeah. one cared. And then all of a sudden we all cared, like ah, oh, it's awesome. Yeah, and I it it seemed like. Bob kind of morphed his two bands into one band. He did. He like, did. Like the, <laughs> he stopped playing with the one band, and then yeah. he kind of put more seriousness into nuclear power bands. We yeah. and the band got better. Yeah, um, definitely it shied away from the stupid songs, which is probably good. But <laughs> I didn't think any of them were stupid. There, I mean, they were like, like there was one song where we counted to sixty-four. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> together really slowly. That was pretty dumb. <laughs> I thought it was cool. <laughs> it was cool. It was fun. Like, yeah, th- man, that you guys were really one of my favorite bands of all time. Oh, wow, like, thanks. Like, I always wish that more people had heard you guys, you know? Like, yeah, I feel like, uh, I feel like the band was, like, I feel like there was, it was always, like, it's always been this kind of, like, ordeal just in the sense of like costumes and yeah. a lot of band members and all that stuff that it made it kind of hard you know prohibitive yeah totally. you totally know and so but i definitely think like by the end there especially like my like the songwriting got really good and like the performance got really good i stepped out yeah you know while the band kept going because i like i was saying a minute ago like i actually started finding my own mm. kind of things that i yeah. wanted to do and so I was like, I want to focus on these things. Yeah. And and so I stepped out. But yeah, it was it was a fun. It was it was definitely like a super fun time, and I miss it. I miss like jumping around on stage because there's really nothing like better than that. Just like being in the moment. Yeah. And just like you know screaming on stage. Yeah. It, and it, you know it's that's so fun, and it's like I work really hard to make comedy feel like that yeah i want that's what i want that's why i do comedy is so i can be in the moment and just you know kind of be up there and that's that's like therapeutic when you can get in the the right space and you're happy with what you're creating yeah it's just like such a great feeling so what was it like what did you start to find around that time like that was show beast that was show yeah so show beast which you know but i'll say yeah was uh um, this group that, so after college, Aaron and I moved, uh, you know, a bunch of us, including, uh, my, my friend Aaron Gleason, we moved out to, uh, Oakland and her and I decided to start making like a show together. And we both loved, we both had a sim- similar, uh, kind of aesthetics. Like we liked the things we liked were similar. Like we both really liked kids shows. Yeah. So we wanted to make this kind of like weird kids show that kind of involved, the uh, DIY scene and like music and everything yeah. and for me it was like it was a great way because I hated school I always hated school I yeah. hate being told what to do in any aspect that's why like I try to be my own boss as much as possible because I just like I and it's not like I'm like oh fuck authority I'm just I just like freeze up like I can't yeah. I, I can't handle being under someone else's thumb because it just makes me feel really uncomfortable but um uh but so once I got out of school, I all of a sudden felt free. I felt free to make something. And yeah. I was like, let's just make something like that we want. Like absolutely to a T, just like super fun and just like every just everything that we wanted. So we put together this show and it was also a way to like collaborate. 
with like you and like other musicians yeah. that we really liked and stuff on music videos and different things and trying to kind of involve people and it was a way that I just like it was like my it was like my ticket you know yeah. it was just like my way of being like I'm in this like yeah, I'm in yeah. this scene and like I didn't know music so it was like it was my version of a band yeah so it was like just kind of a way for me at first to just connect and I didn't know much about filmmaking yeah so Aaron was a film student so she kind of took the reins there and I learned a lot from her mm. I taught myself a lot and then uh and then it got more serious where I was like, you know what, you know, you hit a certain age at times and you're like, all right, what, you know, I'm 25 or 24. Like, what am I, where am I going to be in five years? Yeah. And I started to realize like, oh, like I should just, just do like, be so serious about this. You know? Yeah. And so I just did the crazy thing of like taking that the most seriously of anything in my life. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I did that for a while and it really, it just led me to other things you yeah. know like it just led to other good things i started doing more video work and film work and then i you know kind of moved away from showbiz kind of naturally gradually and started working with alan resnick and and also just doing more comedy and stuff so it was just like it was just kind of this gradual slow build up yeah. from there i i always thought it was interesting that you guys moved to the west coast like because it's like you know, this Wham City thing is is mm -hmm. already making noise, kind of. And yeah. then it'd be like Wham City West or something like that. It's weird. It's weird, though, because at the time, we were visiting Wham City. And at the time, that was one of the, our ideas for moving. I think part of it, I know I wanted to just, I love California. And I yeah. just wanted to get far away. Like, yeah. I just wanted to go as far away from New York as I could. Just just some something else. Yeah. And so a lot of us who were talking about moving out there together were like thinking about starting our own collective. And one of our thoughts was like, was Baltimore. But for some reason, like we used to visit the the first Wham City yeah. space all the time. And you, you remember it. It was, yeah. it terrified us. Yeah. Like when we were like, we love, we, it was really fun being there. But for some reason it was stuck in our minds that if you lived in Baltimore, your life had to be like that. <laughs> like, we just, yeah, yeah. like for some reason, we didn't just realize like, oh, there's people like who just have houses. Like right, right. not every place you step into is going to have like steak knives st being stabbed into the wall yeah. and like, you know, shattered beer bottles everywhere. And, yeah. Like, screaming crazy people at all times. So it was like, so it was this weird thought of like, if we're there, we have to kind of live like that. Yeah. And so that scared us for a while for some reason. And then so we went out to the West Coast and it was really fun, but it was too too insulated. Mm. And so it ended up we just weren't making the connections. We weren't yeah. getting out and things were still just happening in Baltimore. And so we were like I I, I actually was on tour with Nuclear Power Pants and we played Wardscape and I just stayed in Baltimore from the tour. Oh wow. I just but, I was like, I'm done with the West Coast. Baltimore's, uh, you know, got the community that I want. Yeah. And I stayed. The show that was at um, Sonar. Yeah, that was the that was the the Wardscape that we played. Yeah, yeah, that was an awesome set. But yeah, um, that was fun. Oh, so it was kind of like impromptu, like I yeah. Just it was when I, while I was on the tour, I was like, yeah. I I don't think I can go back to Oakland. Like mm -hmm. I was like, I think I I think I'm just gonna stay here. And it was like, I I remember I went on MySpace and was <laughs> yeah, it's back in 2008. Right before MySpace was like 
you know, obliterated. Yeah. But, uh, and almost immediately, like that day, Jimmy Joe Roche was like, oh, we, I got a, we, well, I'm looking for a roommate for my house yeah. in Waverly. And it was just like perfect. So I, so I just brought my two bags into the house and I, and I had nothing. I was just, and then everyone left and it was really, it was really intense. And, uh, but it was a really good, a really good experience. Yeah. And I guess everybody else came back with you pretty much. Eventually, besides, yeah. It kind of a domino effect. Heather, I guess. Heather, yeah. Did she, did she, was she from Purchase and stuff originally? Yeah, she was okay. Purchase College. Cool. Yeah, but she's still out there, yeah. Yeah. What happened from there, like in, in Baltimore? Like, did you keep it? I guess you you kept Showbeast going for a while. Yeah, yeah, we made we made uh, quite a few more videos. Yeah, in Baltimore, and then, and then uh, I added some people to the group, so expanded from it was me, Aaron, and Alan. Yeah, we got in, and we did the Woof Woof video, which is still one of my favorite yeah things I've ever made. It was kind of like that. I think was kind of the pinnacle of Showbeast. Yeah, just in general, like in terms of the collaboration and the aesthetic and what we were going for, like, I feel like that really was the height of it. And then, um, and then I put together, I like added Mason and Stephanie and, uh, and with this idea of like, we're going to do this big full, like 30 minute episode. Like we're going to kind of do what, what we've always been wanting to do this kind of bigger project. And we had a Kickstarter and I think we shot, I don't know, we probably had over a hundred, shoots i mean we've done so much work for it and then it just kind of this other project jumped in and it kind of became this thing that was all of a sudden like this huge project that i wasn't getting money for and was you know kind of in charge of and then all of a sudden there's this opportunity i can't kind of deny yeah and so i was like i'll just put this on hold and then it's kind of become like it's not going to happen Wait, what's the other project? The other project was over? the Adult Swim. Oh, okay. Uh, project. Yeah. So that started off as a pitch, so or a pilot or pitch. So we, um, so we spent. I spent like a long time. We we made a whole pitch that never we never even showed, and then we threw that whole thing out. Yeah. And then we made a whole new pitch. And then, with like, by what does it mean to make a pitch? Like you make a, a pitch. Version of the video, not real. No. Well, kind of, but a, a pitch is more of like a proof of concept, yeah, style thing. So it might be a short version of what you're talking about, like yeah. just to kind of show uh, what you're going for. A pilot is technically like an epi- full episode that then yeah. you try to sell. Uh, you try to get them to pick up more episodes after the pilot. But so the pitch we did, um, and then. Yeah, it, it was, we were trying to, I, you know, it was a big kind of Wham City effort. Um, and it took, it took a long time. And then, and then that kind of, and then we, when we pitched, they didn't like the, they didn't like the, the show, mm. but we pitched this other thing. Alan Resnick pitched his, um, his performance that he did on the Wham City comedy tour. Yeah. And they liked that and they picked that up. So what, then that ended this? up happening. That happened, like, uh. I mean, it was, it's all, it's been so long. I think we started trying to do something in like 2011 and then it like took all the way, I think until 2012, I think we pitched in 2012. Yeah. And then we made it in 2013. So yeah, I think it like took 
Might have even been since 2010, since the beginning. Yeah. It's been a while that we were working towards trying to leverage something yeah. like that. But then that happened, and it kind of changed. Like, once you start getting paid and uh-huh. putting your work out on that level, it's, like, hard to go back to that early, like, DIY thing. Because now it's, like, I've all of a sudden, like, I'm, like, I'm like oh, I can make, maybe make money off of, like, I can make, maybe do this for my living yeah. instead of burning the candle at both ends. Yeah, yeah. You know, and so that kind of shifted me away from the more passion, that pa- the show beast passion project yeah. of like the full episode. I feel like Alan was touring with that. He did like, how mm-hmm. many times do you think he like did that? Did set? the performance? Yeah. That performance. Well, he did it. He did it on the comedy tour for three weeks. So that was t- you know twenty shows, yeah. and then he did it for six weeks with Dan. Yeah. Uh, so that's. Probably about 40 or 50 shows, and then he did it for six weeks with, or four weeks with Lower Dens. Yeah. So he did it a lot, and by the end, it started, it was a 10-minute performance, and by the end of all the touring, it was a 20, 25-minute performance, because he added, like, that much time of, like, improvisation (laughs) and just, like, fucking around and all that. Um, And that was, I mean, that was awesome to watch, because that was, I saw Alan become like, the kind of performer I knew he could be. Yeah. Like, on the first tours, like, he was always great and super, just, like, had good instincts. On the first tours, he was so, like, nervous, and he he, he actually never spoke in a video until uh, until Show Beast. And he was, because he, like, it was he was either nervous or just, like, you know, didn't think his voice sounded right. He just had these kind of, like, insecurities or something like that. And then, um, and then in the, on the first tour, that was kind of his first performance. And, and he, it was, it was great. And then it just like, we just, I just watched him just become like, now he's just like, so good. Like he's yeah. just ridiculously good and just kind of amazing. Like I know he's, he could blow up. Like I really think he's someone who could, like, he just gets fans. Like people just love him. Yeah. They just lo- they see him on stage and he's just like, people just adore him. We, I guess backing up a little bit, um, you should probably explain what the performance slash Oh yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, so um, Alan had this performance that was, um, he had this performance that's called uh, Live Forever As You Are Now, and it's it's basically like he's this, it's like this infomercial essentially. It started off as more of a lecture, but it, it was about how to take your consciousness and download it onto a computer and, or upload it to a computer and so that you can live on after you die. Yeah. You know, and so, like, the idea of, like, you can send it to your friends and to your mom on Thanksgiving so you don't have to go and, like, that kind of thing. And um, so, basically, it outlines his process of how to do that, and then it shows the the info, the Adult Swim piece. And it shows his whole process, and then it shows, like, uh, testimonials from customers. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I think the first time that I saw, like flyers for it i think i didn't realize it was comedy and i just thought mm-hmm. it was real like <laughs> like um like uh, I, was, I was like oh okay alan resnick and it's like it wouldn't be that far-fetched that that would be like a dude connor would be down with yeah so, yeah you, totally. you know what I mean? <laughs> well he, he his first time doing any live performance was a lecture at the wham city lecture series yeah yeah I and think it that's was what it I'm was kind of, of a prototype for for the rest of his kind of because a lot of the work that he does involves 
technology in that way. Yeah. You know, involves some sort of kind of like digitizing yourself or digitizing something. Because he is actually just genuinely interested in that kind of stuff. Yeah. He loves behind the scenes like movie stuff. And so that's the, uh, that's what all of his work kind of, where it kind of comes from. And so he did a lecture because he knows a lot about it. Yeah. And of course, being just kind of the artistic mind that he is, he's just, and comedic mind, he made his lecture like hilarious. And then from that, he was born kind of all the rest of the Yeah. How was it received when it came out? You know, it was, it actually did really well because Alan has this series. So it aired at 4 a.m. and it aired for a week. Yeah. And the whole idea is that it's supposed to go on. Like our piece was a fake infomercial and it was supposed to go on when there were actual infomercials. So yeah. it's supposed to kind of like trick you. Yeah. To, to an extent. And. It went, it went really well in terms of for being at that. It had good just – it was during Christmas week, which is actually not right. a bad time for late night because a lot of kids are home. Yeah. They're staying up late and they're watching Adult Swim. Yeah. So it was – that was good for us. So we had good ratings there. And then um, online it's done great because Alan has this other series of YouTube videos called Alan Tutorial. Yeah. And that has a huge fan base. He's got like forty or 50,000 followers on – subscribers on youtube and a very cult very dedicated there's like a there's an alan tutorial wiki yeah that like goes through every video and like screen caps everything and tries to figure out what everything means right and it's basically it, every tutorial is just him holding uh his cell phone camera and trying to tell the viewer how to do something completely inane and he just has this you know specific way of fucking it up or Cre- yeah. creeping you out and people really latched onto it and what happened was the night before it was supposed to air someone posted Alan's one of Alan's tutorials to Reddit and it went viral and it went crazy and so we got this huge boost from that because people were looking up all the Alan tutorial, Alan tutorial and they found Alan yeah. and they found the infomercial so uh, and because of that still the infomercial gets kind of a steady view view so it's up to like 200,000 that's awesome on YouTube which yeah. is good for that kind of thing because you know it's like who knows who we are generally and like uh and most most things most like online content gets lower views so we got lucky we got really lucky with that yeah oh that that's interesting so so Alan tutorial and the adult swim thing kind of blowing up happened at like the exact same time almost. yeah yeah like it was just very convenient like alan was alan's uh videos had already gone viral yeah and then they kind of went viral again double viral so, yeah was double it, viral was was it how to crush a can how of to dr. crush a pepper? can of dr pepper with, with slats of wood <laughs> that's the one. i wonder do you think it's like I always wonder how many people stumble upon it because they actually want to know how to do it. <laughs> well, the the way that people, the way that it kind of blew up was when someone, someone posted it like, "This is what every YouTube tutorial on on YouTube is like." Yeah, and that that is like a good example of kind of like the mo- that's kind of the most. It's one of the best parodies that he has. Yeah, of like a YouTube. Tutorial, and that's kind of yeah. how it started, and now it's become more of its own thing in terms of things where it's not really a, a parody anymore. It's just its own bizarre story. Yeah. But uh, in the beginning, it was just like, it's funny that you go to YouTube 
and and you're like, oh, learn about uh, you know, this computer program, and it's like an eight year old kid. Like, yeah. And then you click yeah, here, yeah. <laughs> and and then you do this, and it's like it's always now it's like these kids who know more than we do because yeah. they're sitting at home all day on their computers, and so it's like it's just hysterical. Um, for these grown-ups to be learning these, like, things from these kids. Yeah. And so that was kind of the idea. Some of my favorite ones are the ones where there is no tutorial. Like, where he's, like, he just does, like, news commentary. Oh, or, yeah. or, and he's just like, no tutorials today. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a, that was... Uh, so there's a, a narrative has emerged in Alan Tutorial where he was at his... Um, he was at his his house, and then he he got lost. He left his house. He got locked out. Mm. And then for months, every tutorial was him outside somewhere. And then eventually, like he, he and then he went away for like a month. And then he came back, and he was covered in blood and hair, like just his feet <laughs> and hands. And he's running through the woods, like trying to grab stuff, and like kind of like extra crazy. Yeah. And then and then all of a sudden, he's completely cleaned up, and he's in an all white room. <laughs> he's like perfectly clean. And you 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 tend to you start to realize that someone captured him and is now paying him, forcing him to do tutorials <laughs> in a room. And so he says he doesn't want to do tutorials; he only wants to do the news. <laughs> so now he just talks about news. And then, but then they start giving him a dollar every time he does a tutorial. So then he immediately starts doing mm. tutorials again. That's what's up. But then all he does is make a doll out of the out of the dollars. <laughs> it's really, it's very layered. I it, do you think it's the kind of thing where like now like like it's kind of like the audience is like seeing more more to the story than is there or something? Yeah, oh, oh, definitely. Like yeah. there's in the on the Alan tutorial wiki, there's like screenshots of like, like there's one that he did outside that just happened to have a woman like three hundred feet away in the background, and there's screenshots of like who's this woman? <laughs> right, right. But he'll hide stuff from other tutorials in each one, like the blue chair. Mm. Like he can't lift. There's a tutorial about uh, how to how to pick up a blue chair, and he can't do it. Like he can't lift up this blue chair. And then in every tutorial after that, you see a piece of the blue chair still on the ground. And so even when he's outside, even when he goes outside, like really really far away, in the background you'll see in the distance, like in one shot, a chair on the ground, the That's blue chair. Awesome. <laughs> so everyone. And then he draws the blue chair in on the wall, and his, so people, everyone on YouTube, oh, the blue chair, oh, the blue chair. You know, it's like Lost or Fringe or even Breaking Bad, where they start to like tear it apart to to some crazy extent. Like Breaking Bad has that like crazy, like someone went through and they uh, they put these color coatings for like every color shirt that each character wears in every episode to find like how that corresponds to the character development. Mm. So it's like, and it's just like these crazy gradients of color and they don't, it doesn't actually end up meaning anything, but that's what I love about like the age of this, uh, of like YouTube and being able to, to watch any episode you want at any time and rewind it and pause it and look at it and all that stuff. Because it, people, once you start giving people just a little bit, they go crazy and they put together these like crazy theories and stuff and so Alan Tutorial definitely got pulled into that and then of course because it's YouTube people comment and they go oh I bet he's doing this or I bet he's doing that so Alan sometimes just reads the comments and then he just plays off of what they already think is going to happen and so yeah. it, it just blows their mind we're like I knew it I knew it <laughs> yeah. you know and so he just, so it kind of enhances itself through the interaction that the 
that the people have, which is very, it's a very new experience to be able to kind of create along with people's kind of reaction and theories and critiques and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, but that's what we're trying to do with the stuff that we make now. Like we're, we're, we're always trying to develop new pitches and new ideas and stuff. And so we love, we love that aspect of Alan Tutorial because that's when fans really get, they really latch on is when they have something to, to, to think about and devour and like these little secrets. Yeah. And so we, we're trying to, we're always trying to put that in to what we're doing. We're always trying to put the blue chair in everything we make, mm. like outside of Alan Tutorial. Yeah. What what are you working on on next? Um, well, currently we're doing another piece for Adult Swim. Yeah, it's a it's a fake commercial. Yeah, so it's another four a.m. piece. So it's another prank, and that's what we we pitched that we wanted. We we we're trying to to like take over their four a.m. slot. You know, yeah. the slot that no one wants. Yeah, um, I so, think it's a good idea. So. Uh, so it's a prank. So it's like a, it starts off as a commercial, but then keeps going. It turns into like a Lynchian narrative, oh, like yeah, this yeah. creepy. So it starts off as this, it's this nasal spray commercial. I can't. I shouldn't probably give too much away, but oh, sure. who cares? Um, it's just basically this this nasal spray commercial. This woman dropping her kids off, and it's straight up. You can't tell it's any different than any other commercial that yeah. you've ever seen. And then it just where the commercial should end, it just keeps going. So it's like she's driving off and the camera just stays on her on her fake smile and then her fake smile just slowly fades away. Yeah. And then just all this really deeply fucked up stuff happens to her for like the next ten minutes. And it it's just supposed to be like really disturbing. It's supposed to just fuck with people who are up late at night. Yeah. Fucking high watching <laughs> Adult Swim. They're gonna go, dude, is this commercial still going? It's like, going on. <laughs> So that's like uh, kind of what that's all about. That's, but that's awesome. what we're working on right now. Do you know when it comes out? Yeah, it's supposed to air December eighth. Oh, cool, cool. The week of December eighth at four a.m. Awesome. Um, but yeah, it's just kind of starting. We're just just starting to get into the very beginning of production. Yeah, um, getting the script tweaked and all that. Cool. Uh, one thing I think is interesting is that you've been going so hard on this stand-up. The mm-hmm. last couple of years, mm-hmm. like like when did you start doing that? Well, I've been, as they say, going up. I've been going up uh, since I the earliest I can remember actually going on stage to do stand up comedy was uh, I was probably nineteen and I was oh, in college, really? but I never took it seriously. It was just mm-hmm. kind of like an open mic with friends, or yeah. we, were, we were goofing off. I would go up, and in in high school, I would do a little bit of it in a way, but not not formally like I'm doing stand up. Oh, because, yeah, there was kind of, like, wasn't there, a cl- like, a kind of renowned comedy club or something? Yeah, there was, yeah, yeah, there's the Sackett's Harbor Playhouse mm. in uh, in northern New York, which is, it's this nice little historic town. It's, like, nice, and then, and they would get kind of comedians coming through. And we were younger, my, our, my mother would take us there all the time. Yeah. We would go all the time. Even when we were young, it was super fun. It was so great. And they, they have a joke off in the beginning of every set so it's like anyone from the audience can come up and tell a joke and my brother and I used to do it every time Mm. and we would go up and I would usually tell like stupid jokes my brother would tell my brother was the best he would tell the worst like he would take a joke deconstruct it and then tell it he would take like a one-liner joke deconstruct it and tell it for like five minutes straight (laughs) and everyone in the audience 
would it would just be this long pause and then everyone would just start laughing so hard and like laughing at him yeah and it was hysterical and he always got the biggest laughter but he always got voted the worst the worst yeah. joke so so we did that so we were we had uh that was kind of uh, that was my first time performing in a comedy club i guess um, <laughs> were your uh, was your mom embarrassed? Or did my, she I think it? like uh, I think my mom and my sister and you know my close family like that they were pretty well like we've been embarrassing them our whole lives. Yeah. So I think my mom at the like they at this point are just like eh, that's what they do. <laughs> right. They they like to uh, you know, make fools of themselves in front of people. And so uh, so anyway so I messed around with it. In uh, in early college, that's actually I used to call myself Snow Beast. That's where Show Beast came from. Oh yeah. I used to call myself Snow Beast, and I would wear this gross leather jacket and go up and do these completely surreal, stupid jokes about like, you know, Captain Crunch and the Trix Rabbit hanging out. And it was just like complete nonsense. I to- yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, I remember and- you being like, as like. What did 500 Michael Jordan say yeah, to like exactly. 400 other Michael Jordan? Yeah, it's really, really dumb. But uh, um, but yeah, so I did I that like cool. a little bit. <laughs> Thank you. I did that a little bit, and then I didn't do it for a while. I I when I you know most of college I didn't really do it, and then I yeah. didn't do it. When I did film, and then when when I got to Baltimore, I started kind of doing it again just to mess around, and it was uh, really fun. And I actually kind of started having some really good sets um you kind of luckily i would just have these good sets because now i bomb all the time but that's because i'm pushing myself really hard Mm. to kind of change and to get better but so in the beginning it was like very encouraging and and after this one show in baltimore that's when dan came up after the show to mason ross and i and was we were like we got to do it we got to do this we got to do comedy you know we got to do comedy a comedy tour of just comedy because at that point, everyone kind of in Wham City, a lot of people had something they were doing that was funny. Yeah. Uh, the Creepers, you know, April was doing the ventriloquism, which was great. Um, Dan had his, had Ram Ones and a bunch of yeah crazy, like, duo comedies. I mean, he's known also just, I mean, he used to do those, you remember back in the day when Dan would do those crazy long stories. Yeah. And uh, before his sets that were so funny. Um, and so, yeah, so... Then that's so I was like, all right. And so Dan and I booked the first nine day Wham City comedy tour. Yeah. And it was another one of those things where it's like beginner's luck in a way. It was like because Dan Deacon was booking it, we got all these great shows. So it was like every show was crazy Mm. good. And so it was like so affirming. And of course, since then, like we've had ups and downs more and like difficult shows, really great shows and stuff. But so anyway, so I took kind of picked up from there, and I yeah. I kind of kept going with Wham City Comedy, and kept doing the tours every year. And I think it was in this past year that I really doubled down on the comedy. Yeah, like I I was doing it consistently, but I was still I've still considered myself a filmmaker who does comedy on the side. Yeah, and now I kind of consider myself a comedian who also does yeah film. Like I I've been really going hard. Like I do about I mean this isn't even a some people do like 11 mics a week, mm. open mics. I do like four. I try to do four or yeah. five, which is still, it's still a hustle and it's yeah. hard and, because. And it's all over the place, right? Like D.C. D.C., Baltimore, and you go up and it's, you know, you go up and you get five minutes and 
I don't know, man. I, I couldn't have done it years when I first started. Some people start their first comedy experience is going up at these open mics. Most people, they go up at these open mics and do five minutes in front of you know other depressed comedians that are going to go up and do five minutes in front of other depressed comedians. So yeah. it's like, <laughs> oh, it's kind of like a, and it's so I couldn't have done it like that. You know, like I like I was lucky enough to have the encouragement of these crowds and friends and stuff that I kind of incubated in that. And then I kind of developed enough confidence in myself to be able to handle open mic. Open mics are so hard. But that's where you get good and that's where you yeah. kind of like, it gives you an opportunity to like try stuff out. But Unlike a show that you would set up yourself, like a, like a stop on the Lamp City uh-huh. comedy tour or something. Is it like... Are you trying to, like, gain fans, or are you just trying to get this experience? Yeah, it depends. For Like, I kind of... Any of my energy to get fans is for Wham City Comedy. Yeah. That's my... That's where I put really, like... That's where I have that feeling of, like, I got to build a fan base. Yeah. For myself, my goal is just, I want to be great. Yeah. I want to be great at it. You yeah. know, and that takes years. So yeah. that's... And that's really, like, I really believe that should be your goal. Yeah. Like, if your goal is anything else with stand-up comedy than to just be great at it, you are, you're going to fail. <laughs> right. <laughs> because, right. Because it's such a hard, like, it's so hard to do. Like, in it, because it's such a, it's such a nuanced thing. Like, it really depends. The crowd, like, the context of, every aspect of the context of the show changes the crowd and changes how, you know, how people hear your jokes and how your energy. And so it's it's like Wham City, when I put together a show that's Wham City comedy, even if people don't know me, psychologically they're there to see Wham City comedy. Yeah. And I'm a part of that. Yeah. So they're kind of already inherently on board for me. So it so it's not as much about winning them over. Uh-huh. So it's like when you have these 5 minute sets yeah. and you're going up no one asked you to go up. Right. They're not here to see you or anything you're about. Right. You go up you you've only got 5 minutes to try to win these people over, try to get them. That's hard. Yeah. It's like a 5 question test. Yeah. You you know, miss two of them you you fail. Yeah. So it's like it's like uh and so it's like it's different. So if you get a 5 minute set a 7 minute set, it's like so it's a lot of strategy and it's a lot of like okay, like where's this audience Tonight, like, what's the demographic of the audience? Like, yeah. what's this? So it's it's you're trying to you're trying to work and you're trying to manipulate the crowd in a in a positive way. Yeah, you know what I mean with the the tools that you're given, and it, it's something that like when you see someone do it well, it looks like the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, and when you and then when you see someone who can't do it, you're like, oh my god, this is hard. Oh yeah, like yeah. this is so hard. Totally. And that's the thing, like an, an open mic. Like I always joke that comedy is a, a reverse video game. It's like the hardest level is the first. Oh yeah, yeah. Is the yeah. first level. It's like open mics are the hardest thing in the world, because it's like twenty people, all doing five minutes, and there's and a lot of just by virtue of the fact that everyone's starting out, a lot of people aren't good. Yeah. And so it's like you've got to sit through that. The crowd's got to sit through that. The yeah. crowd's not super excited. They're not warmed up. They're not. Right. right. They're not like whoa comedy. You know. Usually. Yeah. Um, Who is the crowd? If it's not other comedians. Well, it depends. It's mostly other comedians. I mean, across the board, and every yeah. other mic, it's mostly going to be other comedians, their friends maybe. Um, Sidebar in Baltimore is the best on uh, on Monday. Sidebar is really great. And it's, oh, I think, yeah. I think it, I think, like, if you can get an open mic that has a good energy where people are, like, forgiving and, like, yeah, let's just work on stuff. Let's, yeah. you know, work this stuff out. People, I think, will eventually kind of 
it's a very social for the comedians, so tons of comedians. But then once you get a certain number of people, I think there's some people that aren't comedians that end up coming yeah. to kind of be a part of that social right, right, atmosphere right. that is that open mic. I still don't think people, I mean, sometimes you get some people who made the mistake of coming because they love yeah. comedy. But like I said, it's like open mics can be uh, kind of volatile places yeah. for, you know, racial issues gender issues like it's terrible like i i sometimes hate uh being a white male because i'm just like oh god i'm another like bald white man going on stage here it's like i feel like i'm like a mark against adversity sometimes i'm just like oh no (laughs) (laughs) i i know what you mean yeah i like yeah man one of the most brutal shows that i ever did uh, it's I'll just explain the situation. Um, we played a show, and then my friend was like, "Was like, which by the way was billed as um, height with friends of Adult Swim's Wham City." What? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> kind of a stretch, but um, we we played a show, and then the next the next night it was like. It was like, hey, there's this other thing you can play because we had the night off, and it was like, okay, and it was like, it was like these comedians are gonna do this open mic, and then mm-hmm. you just rock a set at the end. Oh god, that sounds like the worst. Pretty brutal to start with, <laughs> but we did this. It was just me and Gavin. We did the set. It was like probably like twenty dudes got up. Just mm-hmm. garbage. Every everyone, course, yeah, yeah. everyone bombed. Just basically, it just seemed like twenty like psychotics getting up and just spewing that, this it's, hatred. Yes, and then and then we rocked a set, and it's like thanks to everybody that did their thing. We're gonna do this show now, and then it was just the open mic just continued, like 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 there had been some miscommunication. We're, like I think they just thought we were going up to do comedy, and we just had the like. Oh, so you played, and then yeah, and then, every, it was like, and then they kept, and they're like, okay, next comedian. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like we did like a half hour. I set. can't. I literally can't imagine a worse. Yeah. A worse set than than going up as if you're a comedian at an open mic comedy and doing music. Yeah, it was, <laughs> there is nothing it's worse. Pretty fucking brutal. But no, I mean, it is. It's like, it's funny. I always think it's so funny. It's like, open comedy is supposed to be one of the most fun things Yeah. that a human can experience. Laughter. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like non-sexual orgasm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, it's totally. like supposed to be a great thing. And when you, and when you, you don't do it right, it's worse than nothing. It's yeah. worse than staring at a wall. You've gone and you've hurt yourself. You've yeah. like hurt your soul. You've like you've done the opposite. You're you're the reverse laughing inside of yourself. You're yeah. sad. You know, and so it's like it's it's funny and it's like anyone I mean, but it's also there's a camaraderie around that. Like, yeah, we're all in these open mics. No one none of us want to like no one's having a good time <laughs> in yeah. an open mic. Like you can like like I said for the social aspect, but at most, nine out of ten of them, it's a rough scene. Yeah. People going up and trying, like, oh, I got this new racist one. I can't wait to try it out. Right. Oh, I'm going to, I got this new thing where I sexually harass women in the audience. You yeah. know what I mean? It's like, oh, Jesus Christ. Ugh. It's like, I can't believe it. People, so many comedians go on stage and they're like, oh, I'll just like talk about the woman, this woman's breasts, like on stage. Like, it's like sexual harassment is like illegal. Yeah. You know, it's like it doesn't. If you're on stage and have a mic, it doesn't make it. That's not how it works. It doesn't right. make it legal. You know, you can't just like. I couldn't like bring a kid, 
I couldn't be like, oh, I'm on stage. I'll just bring this kid. I'm just like cutting the kid's face in front of people. <laughs> like, oh, I'm on stage. <laughs> like, yeah. it's okay. It's legal now. It's like, I want it's my performance. Like, no, it's just like, that's still a shitty thing to do. People do that. They're like. They'll, they'll be like, like, oh, nice breasts. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's so crazy. much. They'll be like, oh, you, ooh, some big titties just walked in the room or something like that. You know, just like the worst, the worst thing. And it just, it's like, I don't know how to support that. You know, like, I don't, I don't want to be implicit in that but i don't i also it's also a bad kind of scene to like be like boo at an open right. mic because they're up there trying this stuff out and if they do it and it and it works out for the whole room then it's all good you, yeah. you know what i'm saying yeah like, totally like if you take a risk like that and everyone likes it i guess it's okay I, mean, I don't know. I don't. I guess. Yeah. I mean, it really is like, <laughs> in a way, in the in the eye of the beholder. But it, I don't know uh, a lot of like. I don't know. It's just like not. But it's not a good. Obviously, it's not a good. Just not a good tactic to go up and be like, I'll be this like shitty person on stage. Right. Right. There are famous comedians who do it. Patrice O'Neill. Yeah. He does it. But pe- you know. It, but it's like, I don't know. I, that's my least favorite part of his set. It's like my mm. least favorite thing he does. I just like any of that kind of stuff. I feel like you got to be really smart to know how to talk about gender and race in a way that is funny and doesn't alienate everybody. You you will alienate everybody except for like kind of the worst kind of people. <laughs> like <laughs> yeah. Like I I remember seeing a um a documentary on Gigi Allen mm-hmm. and it was like and there were, a lot of it was like interviews with like bummed out like ex members of the band yeah. who are like I can't believe I I got down with dude you know and, <laughs> and like and like they were just talking about like being around like every night being around the 50 people that want to see a dude eat his own shit yeah so, yeah yeah you know what i mean it's like it's like there's some people that might hear about it and appreciate it like intellectually artistically yeah yeah, yeah totally but the, but the people that are like yeah fuck yeah like, <laughs> i think about that all the fucking time i think about that a lot when people are like like uh you know fuck uh fuck being pc fuck people being uh so sensitive about rape jokes and other things it's like yeah i get i like you know i'm I'm my my biggest thing is I want everyone to feel comfortable in the room. I mean that's yeah. what my job is when I'm a comedian. Exactly. Is I I want everyone to have a good time. And yeah. so I don't I just naturally take out take out any jokes or any topics that either you know mostly that I just can't if I can't find a way to make it funny I don't talk about it but it's like if if it's something like that I know will alienate someone I'm not going to say it. Yeah. And it's like but it's like but my point is like is that really the ship you want to go down on? Exactly. Like, like yeah. I might agree sometimes that, like, okay, maybe that's a little too touchy. Maybe, you know, people got to understand context. Blah, blah, blah. I might have criticisms about people's people's problems with yeah. certain jokes, some of that, but I just don't, I don't say it. I don't, right, I don't right. get in that because that's not the fight I want to make. You know what I mean? I don't want to be, people be like, oh, yeah, he, you know, he really fought against these people who hate rape jokes. Like, that's not like going to be like a legacy or like, yeah. Like, just, you know, just let people be upset by that stuff, let people react. Yeah, I yeah, like like say and and say with like the GT Allen style of like being yeah. like it is the ship I want to go down. Yeah, like yeah. like I I do respect it in a way. For sure. Of, of like 
I don't know, ultimate devotion of course, to yeah. insanity or something. But it's like, if it's not like that, you... I once, you know. it's it's like I once went to uh, this Adam Sandler movie, You Don't Mess With the Zohan. Do you remember that? Yeah. So I went to that. I went to the midnight showing on Thursday only because I wanted to see who would go. Like yeah. I wanted to go <laughs> because that's what you're talking about. It's like, who is so into Adam Sandler that they can't wait until Friday <laughs> to go see You Don't Mess With The Zohan. Like, they're like, dude, you don't mess with The Zohan. We gotta go, we gotta go. I got these <laughs> Thursday night tickets. Like, we're gonna stay up. Like, we gotta work tomorrow, but who cares? You know, man, it's it's our man. It's Zohan. And it's like, <laughs> and I went, and it was like a lot of, like, trench coats and pork pie hats and, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> kind of guys, and it was, like, really, like, intense. I was like, wow, but it's, like, funny to think about, like, people's personas and then the kinds of people that are their fans. Like there's a lot of performers that have a tension with that where there's a tension between who they are as a person and who the people who like them are. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I think that's always interesting. Like what kind of fans are you going to foster? Like Alan, Alan Resnick, we were talking about his fans are so often like little kids, (laughs) like, Mm. like, like 11 year old, like, anime enthusiasts you know oh wow because it's youtube and because of the tutorials and all that stuff so yeah he gets a lot of these like really little kid fans that kind of like creep him out because <laughs> mm, cool, they especially kind of don't understand like you're not old enough to really understand fame and like you know what i mean by that age you still kind of think like you still kind of objectify famous people yeah. and you don't really treat them as much like humans. So mm. he'll get that a little bit on social media and he and it, it's so funny to watch him kind of like squirm. We, I get these these emails from kids when we go on tour being like, is it an all-ages show? I'm a huge fan of Alan. You know what oh, I mean? Yeah. All these like kids that really want to get in and see him and stuff. And I, I really think it's cool the way that you've done this Wham! City comedy thing. And, and I... Um, I do have plans in motion to sort of rip it off to some degree. I'll, awesome. I'll, I'll, I can't wait to hear what you're talking about. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll explain. But, like, <laughs> but like, um, I, like so, so you had this first, you had this first nine-day tour. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was kind of, you're saying it's kind of like beginner's luck with these huge shows. Yeah, every show was good. Yeah. But, by the way, I kind of wondered, like, um. Um, did were people ready for a comedy, or was there people there that just wanted it to be a show? Well, Wham City has it, it was it was only us. It was two hours, and Wham City has that still has that rep for being crazy. Yeah, for being like we're gonna come to your place and you know bleed on you and throw you against the wall, and right, right? Scream and dance and all that. So people had, and that's kind of what the first tours were. They weren't, I mean, they weren't like that crazy, but they were, it was in a crazy group of people. Right. We were all traveling in a bus and it was super eclectic and super weird. And, uh, and we were, everyone was excited. Like all yeah. of us, it was new. So we were all excited. So everyone had a great energy that performed. So there was that too. And then, um, and no, no one was having bad sets. We were all doing good. Everything was hitting, getting hit out of the park. Yeah. And, uh. So it just kind of kept ramping up and got just like weirder and crazier. And so, yeah, so I think a lot of, a lot of it was like people were there ready for like something just crazy and fun. Um, so that, that was definitely, yeah, we, people knew what they were going to get. Cool. Cool. 
Which what was the lineup after that? So the second lineup. So the first tour was twelve people, and then the second lineup was eleven. Uh huh. And that was basically trying to clone the first one and just do it for three weeks. Yeah. Um. What and then so that I mean that was super fun, but that was the one where we first had the first row of shows that we didn't do good. Yeah. <laughs> we did. We did bad. Mm. Um. I mean we we were fine, but there there was no crowds and we didn't know how to deal with it and. It was a lot of learning. It was ton of le- tons of learning for me, and I had to, as a comedian myself, I had to learn how to. I could I could do well in front of a big big audience, a big happy audience, right? You know, and it's like that's yeah. because that's a that's a punt. You know what I mean? That's like not hard. Yeah. Um, and so I learned that, and then it was like, how do how am I how do I be funny in front of five people? Yeah. And then I learned. I learned that you just have to go out into the audience. You have to talk to them. You have to interact with them. You gotta. Be happy. You can't blame the audience. You can't be like, oh, there's not too many people. You gotta be. Yeah. You just gotta bring the energy, and it's and it's almost more fun. Yeah. If you do it right, and so, but we had you know kind of some rough shows and stuff like that, and then it just kind of what happened was, a, it started to weed itself out in terms of the people who, kind of took comedy more as their art form yeah. would have new things to do every year. Whereas the first show, everyone had something new. Everyone had something to do because we had all for years been doing things. So everyone had something they could do. Yeah. But then, then it's like, okay, in, in a year, bring, you know, a new 15 or 20 minute piece. Right. And so, you know, there was some repeats from the first year and stuff like that. And so in my kind of effort to keep the tours being fresh and new, I started whittling them down to make sure. And then, so that's why this, it's now really... Uh, the main three, the main members. There's only three of us. There's only uh, Alan, Robbie, and me are kind of the main. And then Mickey definitely like in the scene a lot. And then yeah. Dan is still, you know, doing some funny stuff and doing stuff like that and kind of jumping in when he can. But he tours. Yeah. And then you know, and then we we try to throw in as many people as that we like as we can. But mainly we wanted to start really really rewarding, especially me because I worked so hard on them. And I was getting five, seven minutes a night. And I was like, I want to start getting more time if I'm going to be putting a lot of work into it. Mm. And and reward the people who work hard and and work on comedy. Right. And so Alan and Robbie are two people who can were always consistent. And they always had something like brand new and amazing off the wall. So yeah. they're kind of the main, kind of my main guys. Um, and then a lot of people who were great, they kind of just didn't, you know, they weren't into it in, as much over the years. So it's it's been smaller and smaller. So this last tour was just four of us. Yeah. Um, which was our my, kind of my favorite tour. It was so relaxing. It was mm. so fun. Yeah. Um, just such a blast. I mean, that's what I love about comedy. You can just go up and do it. All you need is a mic. Yeah. It seems like you guys are able to somehow establish, like, a little more control over things. Compared mm-hmm. to the way it is with these bands. Oh, yeah. I see what you're saying. Yes. You know? Yeah. We're not trying to get on other people's shows. We are our own show. Yeah. So we're more like a theater, a touring theater group. Yeah. In that sense. Like uh, more traditionally. But yeah, that is that is something that kind of, that really helps us, actually. Yeah. Because a lot of venues want to book something like that. Because they want to make their their lineup their monthly lineup more more diverse. Yeah. So like, oh, we haven't had comedy, so so that's why that's why DIY clubs and rock clubs like are good sometimes a good match. Yeah. I want to do more theaters lately just because it's easier. But um 
but yeah, that that's always helped us because we have more control over if we're you know we have had a rule for a while that was no bands. On this last year, we had a couple shows. We played in Boston with a band and that was fun, and we played a couple like if if the Booker is like you should really you really need to put a band on the show. Yeah. Then I'll then I'll do whatever. Yeah. But generally, we're like we're our own show, and so what we've actually done is we've done. And now we've kind of almost we're trying to met we're trying to do both now we're trying to make a shorter show. If we have fewer people we can ha- we can stretch it out or we can make a shorter show so that we can link up with the other kind of weird comedy groups like in Philly there's New Dreams or other people. I want to be able to link up with them and be like let's do a show together. That's yeah. my new goal is like let's so that I'm making connections with because it used to be we'd roll into a town and we'd leave and no one would notice. Like no one in the comedy scene would notice. So now I'm trying to actually reach out to the comedy scenes and link up and kind of make connections and try to find like the people who are doing something somewhat in our vein. Yeah. And and so that we make connections when we tour. Um, Yeah, I was saying this to Mickey also, but I I would imagine that local comedians would be really happy to be asked to do something different mm-hmm. besides, like, this open mic or whatever else they would be doing that night or uh, something. You absolutely, know? yeah. Yeah, the comedians are always... Comedians, in general, are just begging for stage time. So yeah. they're happy to do kind of, like, anything. But especially, like, having a crowd like that, like an actual crowd. Not Like I was saying, like, when you play in a bar full of people who aren't even there to see comedy, you know... They're not, they barely even stop talking to hear you sometimes. Yeah. Whereas you, you play in front of a theater, the quiet theater crowd all sitting, oh, paying attention. It's, yeah. It's, it's really great. It's really a good experience. So that's another reason is why I want to keep it short so that we can give other comedians, like, opportunities. Yeah. Other local comedians opportunities. Um, so, yeah, and so that, that's, that's fun because then we get to kind of, like, make connections that way. Like, finding yeah. openers and stuff like that. So it's definitely, like, it's a challenge. I want to get booked at more colleges. But mm. that's a hard game. You got to do like the, you ever hear about the NACA? No. Thing. It's like some colleges only book like NACA groups, which means you have to pay like 500 or $1,000 to perform at this. Oh, like seminar. Seminar thing, thing where there's a bunch of college book, like bookers who book colleges to watch you. And then, yeah. and you pay because hopefully you get like all these paying college shows. Which I, I kind of want to do just to see, just to like know, mm. but because those are what f- fuels the tour. I mean, yeah, those it, are the money makers. You know, I, I've wondered about that because I, for myself, these college shows like completely dried up. Like that used to be the thing, and I feel like now I haven't played in a college. I in think forever. it's because like we're older now. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. I think because the person booking them like changes every year, so it's yeah. like it's hard to keep up with. It used to be you for me at, uh, <laughs> at purchase. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. But you're saying, so you're, you're thinking about putting together, like, like with the old school stuff, like, be like, this is our own night. Uh, not not necessarily for that material, but mm-hmm. but, but we're trying to get, we, we did a small wraparound Robin tour. Oh, yeah, that's, and, that's um, such a good idea. And it was, it was me, Mickey, and Kane Mayfield. And it was, um, we just did... Pittsburgh, Detroit, and uh, Youngstown, Ohio. Mm-hmm. It's like a little trial run, kind of. And, like, I don't know. And there was going to be a Baltimore show, and it, it got crazy. It was going to be at Cowichew before that place mm-hmm. kind of Yeah, they, they got don't shut book down. anything anymore. Is it shut yeah. down? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. 
I I think that right around that time there was a huge um, Halloween show. Oh, that, it's always these that, Halloween shows. Yeah, kind of, yeah. <laughs> I think more Halloween shows have shut places down than it. Like that's the night that people go crazy, like really go crazy. Yeah, yeah. But Is nothing. It, I don't. Even, I don't think it was like the incident happened. And oh, it was just. Band. It was just it was like just probably like, packed or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it was like I think it was for a Red Hot Chili Peppers cover band too. <laughs> Because that's the thing, it's like these Perfect. Halloween cover bands. Yeah, yeah. Like, but like, um, and it just, got, it got to be too crazy. But I sort of reformulated the plan and like, and now, uh, I'm doing it next spring, but the idea is um, like wrap round robin tour, coast to coast, and oh, do, it, awesome. do it every year and have... And have like the way you have like the roster, kind of like mm-hmm. this is our team for two thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Baltimore team. Like and you're gonna are you gonna link up with local rappers? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, like, that I mean that feeds you in just the sense of like they're gonna bring people and they're gonna know you and then yeah. you're gonna make connections with these you know and the round robin thing is just so fresh and fun. Yeah, it's just like it's just such a great. I've always wanted to do a comedy round robin. Oh yeah, but there's no way to do it. There's not. <laughs> you can't because comedians really don't like it when you shake anything up. Like mm. people always try to do that. Like they don't know anything about comedy. They're like, why don't you like, you know, not use a mic or like go out and it's just like, no, we it's like comedians want to be on their little spot on stage, yeah. holding the mic stand, holding the mic and they're and that's you know what I mean? And they don't want it they want their specific amount of time. Because that's yeah. their flow. But I don't know. I I would kinda like to. I've been thinking about doing these uh open mics like once a month with my friend Stavros Halkius. Great oh, comedian. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. Um where we where we switch something up like that just to mess with everyone like, you know, you can only do crowd work or you can only do this or that. Just yeah. to kind of mess mess around with it. But yeah, but but I I was trying to come up with an idea for a round robin where it was like a drinking game where it was like joke about a dog and then we had, you had to go around in a circle and so I was like, "Oh." And then they have to do it and if they like if they can't get a joke out then they have to drink. <laughs> And then after a while, everyone's just like completely wasted and like trying, trying to, <laughs> <laughs> trying to tell jokes. <laughs> that is a cool idea. Maybe that but would work. You'd have to get it. It would have to be like zero clowns can be involved. Yeah, yeah. That's know? why it's like sometimes. What's great about comedy is you can do it anywhere if you have a mic. Yeah. So we can do it at like a house show or something. Yeah, like that. yeah. That would be a good a good venue because I I don't like to promote like drinking games and like public venues <laughs> I think it could be but yeah, I don't like know. I'll, I'll revisit this idea yeah yeah one thing I wanted to know because you've been I feel like of everyone I know that does comedy you've probably been hitting it the hardest with these mm-hmm. open mics and stuff like and obviously there's a brutality to mm-hmm. to the scene but it's like what what it's been some like cool stuff that you've learned from like you know meeting these comedians like outside of the circle you know oh it's it's actually been so good because i always thought of myself like i am an artist just like first and foremost like yeah. with everything and i really think that being an artist really just means it really just you're talking about your editorial policy you know like you're not a craftsman you're not a skilled you're you're you take everything into account yeah. And you you want, you know, it's just kind of like what you strive for in your work. But I know that the that the that the quote unquote artist kind of mentality, which is what I had, was like it's this idea of like 
you work on everything from behind closed doors. And then when it's done, you show it. Yeah. Whereas the comedian mentality is you go up on stage with a half-cocked idea and you blah, 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 you, you barf it out. And then if it's, and then you do it again and again and again yeah. and you work it out in front of people, which kind of is, you know, so many artists I know could never do that. So many like, yeah. like they can't put themselves out there like that. Right, right, because right. You, because you take your own artistic sensibility so seriously. Oh, I can't, I can't fail. I can't bomb. Like I can't, you know, it's like I've got to work on everything. Everything has to be absolutely perfect. And then I show it. And so I've, what I've, what's made my process so much better with everything is comedy. Because now I, I already know how to work on things behind closed doors. Yeah. And now I, I, now I have the confidence and the like ability to go up and, and, you know, make a fool of myself in front of people and fail and work something out and be like, ah, it's a good idea, you know, and like kind of do, do that process with a group of, of, uh, of who knows who they are of people. Yeah. Um, but so I like that about comedians is they have that, they have that sensibility already. Like that's ingrained in them where it's like this, it's this constant, constant, like failure, mm. you know, you're constantly failing and you're failing on a more visceral level than you ever fail in anything else. Yeah. Other things are failure in terms of like, I feel like a failure. Right. When you do, when you do comedy, you're failing. Like you, there's yeah. no, there's no question when you go up there and do it. And it's like, I watch people. It's just like good people go up like really like kind people go up over and over again, just bomb over and over and over and over again. And they go right. up again and they bomb. And it's like, I don't know, like as an artist, I don't know. That would be hard for me, you know. Yeah. Because because I because I have to feel good about myself. Like I have to feel good about my work. You know. I mean, that's right. like an artist kind of. I have to feel good about what I make, and and it's like in a way, it's like it it helps me it helps me do both. So it's like comedians, I think, could could take a lesson from an artist's editorial policy, where I feel like they could do a little more work behind mm. the scenes. They could do a little bit more like. Do I really want to say that? Is that the persona I want to project? Is this, how, is this the aesthetic I want? Like comedians have the worst aesthetic of all time, you know. Like, have you ever seen a comedy album cover? So oh, yeah. it's always it's like Joker Man font and like you know some wacky woo yeah. like face woo, on the mic and it's like you know and it's like so like the way they market themselves is really kind of weird. But anyway, so I think so what I've like really loved about it is it's also just good to immerse yourself around people who like something that you do. Yeah. Before that, I, you know, I've, I was never in like a video scene or a filmmaking scene. Like my yeah. scene has always just been a group of, you know, interdisciplinary artists. Some are sculptors, some are painters, musicians yeah. and all that. And it's the first time I've ever actually been surrounded by comedians. And so it's just good for me to just to kind of like remember, get out of that bubble. And just remember to see the different mentalities and perspectives in the world. Yeah. So that's been great. And I've, I've definitely like, and, and, and I love process. Like I, I fall in love. I love talking about process. I love witnessing other people's process and hearing about how their process. And comedy is just pure process. It's like, how do you get your crap that you have in your brain out in a way where you can say it every time and it's funny? And yeah. it's like, it's, and you watch people's process. You, and that's why what I say is you can't judge a comedian from one set. You can't judge a comedian from two sets. You have to see a comedian over time because it, because you're judged in the end by how you, how you learn 
and how you can adapt and how you, yeah. how you change and what you edit out. Because when I go up in an open mic, it's not supposed to be good. You know, it's not supposed to be great. It's supposed to be like, I'll, I, this is what I have. Okay, this, and I immediately take it away. The next time I do it, it's a little bit better. That kind of thing. So I'm still trying to figure out my balance mm. in that. But I love, I love comedy because it, it forces you to, to examine your, your process. That's wild. It, it's kind of hard for me to comprehend. It, like, yeah. Like, because cause a lot of comedians never, ever stop, right? They're like constantly, whatever they're doing, they're also hitting these yes. open mics. Yeah. My, my friend Stav, who I mentioned, he does, he hasn't, he's been taking a little bit of a break because I, I think he burned himself out a little bit, but he was doing like 11 a week. So that's like two yeah. or three a night. So it's like, he did it, and that's how people get good, is they go up so much that it's not even just that they're developing jokes, but they're just, they're changing their energy. To me, it's yeah. more about energy than it is joke. I mean, you need good jokes, but but your energy is so important. Mm. And it's like, what you're trying to do with comedy is you're trying to cultivate an impossible mentality. What you're trying to create is a mentality where you both care and don't care at the same time. Yeah. And you have to project that energy, and that's the be- that's when you're that's what professional comedians do. Is yeah. they, it's like, I I want to make you laugh, but I don't care if you do, and that is the energy that they have. It's, it's right, that kind right. of alpha almost energy where it's like they're so comfortable. Like just to get when you see anyone like any comedian that's comfortable on stage, that is the skill. Mm. It's not about the jokes they tell. It's not about that. Like that's why they're a comedian. Like that's why they're professional. It's because they can go on stage and keep up a one-sided conversation comfortably that flows for an hour, you know, and that is the skill and that's an impossibly hard. But when you see someone do it, it just feels so comfortable and of course. It's kind of like, uh, oh, of course, you know, grunge, Mm -hmm. but kind of like he was saying, it kind of stuck with me. It's just like in life. His way that he's trying to live life is kind of like, is like trying every second to kind of succeed and make stuff that's good Mm -hmm. and try to be heard, but ultimately also not care at all if he gets hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's kind of like so hard to actually do. It's so hard to do. But it's, but at the same time, it's completely. It makes sense because what, you know, like mm-hmm. the there's like the journey and the destination and really what is the destiny? Like there's no, at the end, there's no one being like, you won. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, there's you, no you know, like scorecard and you get, yeah. you know, points and, you know, it's it's not like ski ball. <laughs> right, right. It doesn't right. print out tickets or something <laughs> like that. You know, it it is like, it is in the end, it, it is just like, don't make, drive yourself fucking crazy yeah. with what you do because in the, it's never, it's not going to be worth it no matter what. Yeah. It's like if you get really good, but you don't feel good about what you're doing, right. like it's going to just create problems and issues and anxiety. And so it is this like, that's, I mean, that is, for me, it's sustainability is the magic word with, mm. with art now. Like that's my main question is how do i make work that that like feeds me that i'm not just burning out on i mean you i'm sure you know about burnout yeah yeah that kind of stuff and like the question like it brings you these questions like should i do this like uh, it just and when you can just sustain it you just get to do it and you get to enjoy it 
So it you means mean, like not making as much or not pushing it as hard. But you're not, but not burning out is yeah. even more important, I think. But like, I mean, do you mean sustainable emotionally or more like financially? Um, I think emo- ultimately emotionally. Yeah. And then I think financially where that affects the emotions. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> because I think anxiety increases when you, you know, can't provide for yourself. So oh, it's, yeah. And also when you're working really hard. So it's like one of the things, one of the reasons that I want to uh, make money doing what I do is just so I can keep doing it. Just of course, yeah. of, I mean, it's a stupid thing to say. No, no. It's so stupid it's smart. Yeah. <laughs> that it's just like, uh, I don't, it's not like I need anything other than like, I just love doing this. And I just, I, if I have to work a job and do this, I, I can't do that forever. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, to burn out so bad eventually that, yeah, that I'll hurt myself or just, you know, just not want to do it ever again or whatever. So it's just like, so I'm just trying to find that that place where I can just make it my life, you know? Cool. Well, I think that kind of wraps it up. Cool. Well, thanks so much, man. Absolutely. Thank you. We did it. Thanks again to my man, Ben O'Brien for coming on and we'll see you next week.